Hello, you are listening to Jonk Live-ish. It is the week of October 8th, 2021. Plenty of stuff to talk about this week. First things first, I want to let you know that this week will also feature a guest interview. I spoke to Katie Terrar about hosting and public speaking, so tune in for that a little bit later after the news. This week we're talking about the final DLC character for Super Smash Bros. Ultimate on Nintendo Switch. Sony and Constantine finally dropped the trailer for an upcoming movie adaptation of one of my favorite video games. Shudder this week also released a sequel in the horror anthology franchise and one of the largest streaming platforms saw a massive data breach. Super Smash Bros. Ultimate... finally revealed its final DLC fighter. Fighter is Sora from Kingdom Hearts. Kingdom Hearts being a crossover spin-off franchise with Disney and Final Fantasy. Though Sora's outing here with all the Nintendo Smash fighters will not feature many references to his Disney origins. He will, however, have his iconic Keyblade and his outfit and will feature two battle maps. Joining him, though, in this DLC pack, Players will also be able to dress up their Mii fighters as the Doom guy from Doom. So those Isabel and Doom stands can finally go out there in the world and pair them up against the rest of the world. Constantine Films and Sony Pictures have finally released the trailer for Resident Evil Welcome to Raccoon City. What were Umbrella doing here? This is where they're experimenting on him. We should split up. The adaptation of the horror video game franchise features Kaya Scordelario as Claire Redfield, Robbie Amell as Chris Redfield, Hannah John Kamen as Jill Valentine, Neil McDonough as William Birkin, Tom Hopper as Albert Wesker, Avon Jogia as Leon S. Kennedy, Lily Gao as Ada Wong. The film does adapt both the first Resident Evil game and the second Resident Evil game. It's not clear if necessarily they're taking place at the same time or if the first game's materials and story will be told as a flashback storyline. Set to come out November 24th. I thought the trailer looked good. I'm super excited. Uh, It looks like they're mostly staying accurate and faithful to the games compared to the Paul W.S. Anderson films that came out from 2001 to about 2016, 2017, I believe the last one was. Shutter this week released the latest entry in the VHS franchise. VHS 94, following suit as with previous VHS films, is an anthology film featuring directors from all across the globe telling their horrific, violent, graphic horror stories. 
VHS 94 came out on October 6th and can be streamed on Shutter.com for free. Earlier this week, 125 gigabytes of internal data for Twitch was dropped on 4chan as part of a hack they experienced this week. The hacker claims this is due to Twitch's lack of response and action taken towards hate raiders. We talked about hate raiders a couple of weeks ago. A number of lawsuits were cropping up, but this action was apparently taken because of that. The data included in the drop was mostly streamer payout data, internal data about upcoming projects, and other internal code. It's our understanding right now that none of the data released contained any user login information or payment information. This event is still a good reminder to always be conscientious of your online safety. Always be sure to be changing your passwords whenever something like this happens. Be using different passwords for the different sites and services that you use. And when possible, set up two-factor authentication. It's as easy as using your phone or your email address to be sent a code to make it a little more secure every time you log into a new device. Uh, This is especially useful if you find yourself in a lot of public locations on Wi-Fi. If you find yourself visiting a site and concerned that you may have picked up a virus, or if you find yourself using public devices like at a library often. That's it for the news. This week, as I mentioned earlier, I was joined by my good friend Katie Terrara to talk about hosting and public speaking. Both of us have a good number of years and classes at Arcade Comedy Theater. Katie Terrara is a wonderful host and presenter. She's done public speaking as part of her career and part of her personal life, and... She's doing it at Arcade Comedy Theater as part of Bracket Night at Arcade, hosting a series of panelists as they argue over which of a thing is the best thing. Legally, objectively, everybody signs a contract when they come in. It's very official. You can follow Bracket Night at bracket underscore night to stay tuned for all their upcoming stuff and more information about their October 14th show at 7.30 p.m. Eastern Standard Time at Arcade Comedy Theater. This month's shows features Chance Humphrey, Kyle Longsdorf, and Brittany Alexis. So without further ado, here's my chat with Katie Terrara. Hey, sorry to break the news live like this, uh, but no, <laughs> you are uh, a delightful friend of mine who has recently started hosting yes, things and stuff. Uh, and yes. I just want to know, because you talked, we, we had a conversation a couple weeks ago about hosting and how you've done a lot of public speaking for work. And I kind of wanted to know yes. what is, what was the moment or the thing or the talking, the, the, the public speech thing that you did that kind of make it go from like, oh, this is a professional obligation to, oh, I really enjoy this and want to do this in some capacity. Oh, yeah. That's a great question. I'm trying to think how much of my whole life story I want to give you right now, but I would say <laughs> that my like emceeing has been part of my life for a long time. So when I worked in college at a summer camp, I was in charge of all the program and the skits and the songs and making sure everyone knew what was going on. So like the cruise director, program director mm-hmm. kind of thing. Um, and so I, I really enjoyed that. And, you know, an audience of 100 kids is a hard audience to keep. So so I think that was a good uh, baptism by fire for that. And then in my work after that, I often was in a situation where something needed to be really emceed, hosted. Uh, so at a training event or an event with college students, I worked with college students for a long time. I just often found myself in those kinds of roles and I'm very comfortable. I'm very comfortable in front of people as myself. 
I am much less comfortable in front of people like as a character. So I, I was never, I've always done theater. I was never a particularly good actor, but I can act as myself. And I think for me, moments in my life <laughs> when I have done that, including professionally over the last several years, it's very common for people to give me compliments mm -hmm. and I like compliments. <laughs> so, um, the sense of like, Hey, you're really good at that. How do you, how do you do that? And I think the answer is I am comfortable in that role. I like, I, yeah, I like being a host, but also you get your reps in. So I've done it a lot. And so I'm, I'm comfortable with it. I would say that as I've gotten older and reflected on it more, of course, I still like compliments. But when I think about why I enjoy hosting, it's the same reason why I like hosting things at my house, which I do, as you know, you've been to my house. So Very the idea of home. hospitality, thank you. The idea of hospitality is really important to me. I think um, I learned that growing up about like welcoming people and making space where people feel welcome and comfortable from my family, but then also parents, friends who I just noticed were really good at that, or some mentors of mine when I was in college who were incredible at just being able to open their door and casually invite people in and make it feel so welcome so quickly. Um, and so I love to do that. And I like to do it in my home in a very kind of personal, intimate way. But I do think that on stage, you can do that as well. It's not the same as providing food and drink. You know, if I could just provide food and drink to people at the arcade, I would, but there are mask rules right now, so I can't, yeah. I can't give everyone a drink. But I just think that creating a space where people feel like they trust you, like they belong and they're welcomed is super important and a gift. Uh, I've received that gift from a lot of people and I, I like being able to do that. So I don't know, that, that runs the gamut from like, having people over for a snack or <laughs> dinner or stopping in for dinner, like creating a home where people feel like you're welcome. And everyone listening to this podcast is welcome at my house anytime. Come on by. I have cheese yeah. in the fridge. I will I will privately uh, send everybody your else. address so that they can <laughs> send it, sign up for a newsletter that doesn't exist yet, guys, and you will get Katie's just, just post yeah, it. Just post it. Yeah. Just put it on the internet. There. It's fine. Yeah. What what's worse that could happen? Nothing could happen bad. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so I love that. I love yeah. creating space. I, like well, that. I think, uh, and, and you brought up a good point too, which is, um, you, can, you can't bring food to all, to all places that you're doing something like that, but there's, right. I think this approach when I hear good public speakers like yourself, uh, kind of greeting an audience and kind of like, you know, if someone has to sit in something, whether that be professional or for entertainment, and there needs to be some sort of MC or host, those are usually the, the the meaty gritty bits the, the we've got to get through these things for the rest of the thing to happen and i think yeah. what really great public speakers do and hosts do are they make that part fun in and of itself um i think one of the things that's delightful about your hosting of bracket night is you're able to to squeeze in a little joke here or really play with the panelists you're really able to then also give mm. you know the panelists space to you know come up with their ideas about what their arguments are uh and even for the audience themselves giving them the time to you know hey you know you're voting on your phone so let me let me vamp for a little bit but you do it in such a way that is very entertaining first off which is hard to come by um and then in second off it's it's very welcoming in that sense of like no i'm not I'm not opening my home to you. I'm not giving you this snack or whatever, but it is uh, a lot more 
appealing to watch a host that is much more open and honest. And I, I feel a similar way about I'm hmm. I'm bad at playing characters. Like I'm not, I don't feel good playing another character, but I, I really enjoy doing that thing of really playing myself or the exaggerated version of myself. And so, yeah, it's, it's that, it's that hard line to toe. And I think some people really just are good at it. And um, I like that, that analogy of like, it's, you know, no matter what the situation is, that being that welcoming person and, and inviting people in and making it a space that's comfortable and safe for everybody is a really great way to put it. And uh, what, so I know you, so you'll have the bracket night coming up, which is a week minus a day from when this is coming out, (laughs) but you had your first one at arcade. What? Yeah. Before you got on stage, what were your nerves like? What was that experience? It was so interesting. I've never been more nervous and I've never been more prepared for anything I host. And that includes when I have been at my real job hosting an event for 400 professional clients. But this uh, bracket night feels much more personal to me. It's something that uh, my friends and I have been working on for a few years. And so we really just wanted it to go well and have been really working on them the structure and we've been practicing and and trying to figure out how to make the show make it into a good show and so i was so nervous but i asked um one of our panelists for the first for the first month was tyler ray kendrick who is a great comedian stand-up and improviser and i and a good host like he hosts stand-up things a lot and so i asked him for some advice for hosting (laughs) and he said when they call your name take a breath before you step out and i remembered to do that and it felt like a million years, but it wasn't. Like I saw a clip of it, it was a second, but it felt like a big second. And like to remember like, this is fun. This is for fun. And also sometimes at my job, my job has been to stand up on a stage and tell people something they don't want to hear. And that's a responsibility of a host sometimes too. Not as much at a comedy show. Yeah, You know, so I think that's the thing though. Comedy can can really do both. It can really, you know, hey, we're going to talk yeah. about this big sad thing or we're going to talk about the funny, funny thing. Yeah. But you 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 mentioned that those in those moments before taking that breath, that recommendation of like taking a breath. And yeah. I know breath. I took a public speaking course in college. And one of the things that uh, my professor recommended at the time was to uh, pinch your fingertips before you know you have to do something or if, if you if you find yourself fiddling or shaking a lot just oh. kind of doing this and it kind of is a just a calming repetitive thing so that is another if you're listening and you have to public speak and you get nervous try one of these two things um that's a but great also tip. the yeah. the entire group that was doing that show that night was so much fun and when i found out that bracket night itself um so bracket night at the arcade is kind of a new format for it entirely as a show whereas the previous yes. versions were a lot more like trivia nights so what was the what was the translation like for you as far as just being you know participating in bracket night as it was and then really escalating it and elevating it to this new kind of game night because the energy that was there that night and i'm sure will be there following shows was electric especially post-pandemic post-middle pandemic uh it was yeah like some of the best fun i've had doing something outside of my home in like two years and it just everybody on stage was having fun the audience was losing their minds when the voting was happening over the best uh, one-hit wonders yeah so it's like people were losing their minds uh so what what kind of uh, translations were happening for you in the planning process and then when you were actually delivering yeah so so bracket night is a team of five folks uh which i'm one and we 
our friends and for almost 10 years, some of the group have been doing these bracket, they used to be called Bracket Club, in their living room, like with their friends. And it was intended as an opportunity to bring people together, like different groups of friends, you have disparate groups of friends, where they can all like do something together and like cross-pollinate without it being like, what do you do for a living? What do you, what part of town do you live in? Like all the questions that I ask everyone. Um, so it was intended for that and it was very powerful. It was awesome for that. But when we started thinking about ways to expand it beyond our kind of personal networks of friends, we were trying to think about what made it so great. And the biggest thing about it is the, the engagement and the way that people come in and like, get in like care so much and like passionately argue about a soup or a cereal or a superhero and like connect with someone and become friends because of those things. And part of the, the pain during pandemic for us was how we tried to, we did several bracket night events. Like we did one a month on zoom, but as you know, it's just yeah. not the same. It just can't be the same. So we ended up solving some technical issues or you know, figuring out how to do some things technically on Zoom that we weren't doing before COVID, and that includes the live voting. So that piece kind of helped us think about imagining doing things differently. And when, you know, I'm very involved at Arcade, so I'm the person in Bracket Night who's like on the Venn diagram of Arcade and Bracket <laughs> Night with me. Right in the and Katie right in the middle. And, um, and so we had thought that that might be a good location to do the old format, but then through the things we learned and trying different things with during the Zoom pandemic, we came up with this idea of trying to do it as like a panel show. Bracket, the thing about Bracket Night is we do care, like we care who the best movie villain is, but only in as much as the way we yeah. get there is this fun event. So the Bracket is like a mechanic to have panelists make jokes and have the audience get engaged and have side conversations. It's it's really a fun structure, but it's not really about that. It's really about the process, right? And so having that, uh, creating a space where people can in, get engaged is really the goal. And we were worried that that wouldn't translate to a show, but we were so delighted. Uh, I mean, they, the first show couldn't have gone better. And we're really excited about the panels we have coming up and we're hoping to, you know, make it a regular a regular gig at Arcade. And then also, you know, as people experience it at the Arcade, then maybe they want to come and check yes. out the different format that is where everyone can argue and it's more of an open structure rather than like the tight 75 minutes with a panel at arcade and someone so, that's as we'll someone see. that's chronically online and watches a lot of forums and reddit arguments and facebook arguments uh they get toxic fast and one of the things i really loved about how you approached it was like fight nice is one of the the rules at the top of the show and i love that because it's something that you know you're you're talking about opinions you're talking about strong opinions about characters and movies and and foods and, and music and all this stuff and you know, people can get really riled up really easily, especially nowadays. And so to have something that's almost like an outlet for that energy, but in such a positive way was so fascinating, especially after the last couple of years, given certain situations. So I, I, for a final question, I guess I'll ask you, like, what have you found to be the most kind of interesting response to bracket night either the when you brought it out of the home into something like a bar or bringing it from those situations to the show i think the most interesting thing and the thing that is our low-key favorite thing about bracket night 
So our, our upfront favorite thing is like how fun it is and how 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 easily people can get involved and feel like committed and and be engaged with one another. We love that. That's at the top. But the secret agenda of Bracket Night is that learning to listen to someone whose opinion is different than yours and being willing to change your mind about it is a is like a, a skill in our brain that is not encouraged in our culture right now. And so if we can practice passionately arguing with someone when the stakes are low, then maybe when the stakes are higher, we'll be a little better at listening, a little better at being persuasive and and trying to understand what the other person has to say rather than just like writing them off as an idiot. Like, John, you and I recently had some arguments about M&Ms versus Reese's Pieces where you were straight up I mean, up I was right, but... And I was right. Mm, well, you know, well, agree to disagree. But we're yeah, still we're friends still today. Friends. <laughs> <laughs> we're still friends. Um, so I would still eat any of them if they were giving me right now. But, you know, like, that doesn't really matter. But that's the thing. It's like, um, I don't know. I'm, this is where I'm, like, out of my depth. But, you know, there's, like, physical... You know, like, if you're exercising a muscle mm-hmm. with weights, then when you have to lift a box, you can also lift yeah. that box, right? So... Like it's about practicing our mental pathways and like being open to our brains, like being willing to listen in hopes that we're also developing more of an ability to have civil conversations and like fight nice about things we really care about that matter a lot too. So that's like a long-term, that's the long-term play of Bracken Night is to help all of us. And maybe just me, right? Maybe it's just so I will get better at listening to other people's opinions. But uh, yeah, so I, I love that about it. I think we've seen that sometimes where people come into a bracket night, like with pushing so hard for something and then someone makes an argument so well that like forever, everyone's like, okay, that's that's it. That's mm-hmm. the best one. We were wrong and you were right. But I think for the other thing that has honestly been super cool is when we were doing it at bars and we would bring our like group of friends and then like someone would walk by. So that just happened at Allegheny Overlook and like get so involved and so into it, like people we don't know um, having a good time. And, and it's it's just a really fun thing. But you can follow us on Instagram, as I think you may have already said in the intro, at, at bracket underscore night. And like brackets are up there, right. the ones we're doing next week and old ones. Like if you are with a friend or your family, right? Like maybe tensions are high with your family about about real stuff, but you can like have a conversation with people in your family about the best one hit wonder. Like you can actually play a bracket with your friends, with your family. If you're at like waiting in line for the DMV, you can play it by yourself. You can like, it's a great date activity to like talk with someone, um, a, talk, talk through a bracket with someone. So yeah. anyway. We and we're we love for people to yeah. do that. No, so. I think I think that's the beauty of it. It's something. It's not. It's not like trivia where you require knowledge or you you need yes. preset things. A bracket right. can just be literally going through the motions of like, hey, let's talk about you know what's the best book uh, and and just be like here here's the right. best uh, you know John Grisham books. I don't know why that's the author that came to my mind, uh, but sure. You, well, do you know there we go. <laughs> Stephen King, American classic. <laughs> John Stephen King for exactly. Season. So yeah. stuff like that. Yeah. So I, I love that. I, I love yeah. that twofold thing of it's fun. It's something that can get really really get people communicating and then flexing those muscles in a way that I really like that because I know as someone that is definitely calmed down a bit more uh in my ripe old age of 26 uh 
arguing passionately yes. about things that are important can sometimes lead to really reflecting on well who is the other person and going after something about them yeah and and taking that element right. out and really focusing what is the point of the conversation you're having i love right. that so much and I, I again you're hosting really amplifies that because you do such a good job of mediating everything that's going on and moving things forward which i think are all signs of a really Thank great you. host especially for something like that yeah thanks and i, I listened to um conan o'brien's podcast a lot i really like conan and he many times has mentioned like as a host of his show his job is to make the guests shine you know so that and and we know that anyone who's ever done improv and you're hosting a short form game or you're just like your scene partner you're always trying to like help the other people and so the great thing about bracken night is i yeah i can get like a joke off here and there like a little whatever but my job is really just to create the container for the panelists to be yes. hilarious um which they are they were last month yeah, they will it's be a again, great so. lineup so uh yeah. yeah so information for the show uh and just info and the link to the Brackenite uh instagram will be in the description below thank you again yeah. so much katie awesome. but also i should also mention i would be remiss if i didn't mention that i'm also using my hosting skills as a tour guide with arcade's new uh walking comedy tours downtown got I'm it okay yeah, yes yeah. uh go yeah go yeah. check that out because it sounds like a lot of fun i will yeah. leave it's yeah. super fun. It's like a 45 minute uh, story. We tell a lot of stories about Pittsburgh's drunken history. There's no drinking on the tour mm. itself. Um, but so it is 16 and older. It's like six blocks. So it's not gotcha. far, but yeah. it's Yeah, well, that's about um, the size of Pittsburgh anyways. So. is really. <laughs> it's about six. Right. We, basically, we basically point to everything you need <laughs> exactly. to see. It's fine. Well, perfect. Thank you so much. Thanks again, Katie Tarrar, for joining me to talk about hosting and public speaking. It was a pleasure to have you on. Moving on to what I've watched recently, I rewatched 2004's Resident Evil Apocalypse. I worked for the Umbrella Corporation. There was an accident, and everybody died. The trouble was, they didn't stay dead. In the pursuit of human perfection, accidents will happen. This is the second movie in the Paul W.S. Anderson run of Resident Evil films. Mostly I was watching it in anticipation of the new trailer for the new movie, but also because I was just looking for something to just watch. It stars Mila Jovovich as Alice, Sienna Glory, and I'm butchering all these names, as Jill Valentine, Odette Fair as Carlos Alveria, and Mike Epps as LJ. The film takes place during the outbreak in Raccoon City. Similar to what the new movie will be doing, though less accurate, the film features Alice, the protagonist from the first film, who's completely original to the franchise, encountering Jill Valentine in their escape from Raccoon City. This involves running into the terrifying tyrant known as Nemesis, whose goal is to track down Star's members and eventually fight Alice. Those Resident Evil movies are not of a good quality, but I will say that the second one holds up the best. A lot of practical effects were used, and the scenes that are suspenseful as they explore the city uh, do give you a little bit of a, put you on edge a little bit. So if I were to recommend watching any of them, I would recommend watching the second one. The rest of the franchise takes a dip. This week was also the first season finale for Marvel Studios' What If, their first animated production as part of their Marvel Cinematic Universe. you all of them heroes are forged in darkness defined by sacrifice there is still hope for the multiverse 
Here we go. We do not back down from a fight. Available on Disney Plus, the ninth episode concludes this season. I'm not going to give any spoilers. This is mostly notice for people that like to wait to binge the show. The season is now over, so if you were looking forward to that so you could binge through all the episodes, that is now a thing. Each episode is about half an hour. There are no post-credit scenes except for the last episode, which I did enjoy a number of things. First things first, the animation was fantastic. The things they can get away with in animation, especially during fight scenes, is great. The color really pops. There's a lot of fluid action that you don't get to do in live action as much, just given financial and time restraints. And getting to see a number of characters that maybe didn't interact or they interact in a different way in this than they do in the main timeline is fantastic. It also gave them a really great way to expand the multiverse as we approach Doctor Strange 2. This week I also played a couple of things. I played Hard Bullet, which is a VR fighting sandbox brawler type of game similar to Blade and Sorcery which we talked about previously though this one's set in a more of a John Wick setting you have access to an arsenal of different guns and melee weapons that fit more of that aesthetic and while the concept is there and it looks fine the gameplay itself is a bit too clunky I did end up refunding it in the first half hour I don't recommend it at this point one of the main reasons being is it borrows a thing I actually didn't like from Boneworks which is a pretty popular VR game which is that it gives your lower half kind of this physics. Uh, when you step on something or over something, it'll send your body kind of bobbling around and it's not very comfortable. So if you were looking into a action-driven VR game, I would point you away from Hard Bullet and point you more towards something like Blade and Sorcery if you're looking for a single-player experience or if you're looking for a multiplayer action experience, check out Echo VR, available on the Oculus Store. My friends and I also sat down for our session zero of our Kids on Brooms campaign. Kids on Broom is a tabletop RPG system based on the Kids on Bikes campaign system. It allows players to explore the magical wizarding world of not Harry Potter. Fly a broom, cast spells with a magic wand, have a pet familiar, make friends, explore mysteries, and definitely not do exactly the same things that you would see in the Harry Potter films. It's Harry Potter the tabletop RPG just without the branding it's very fun it looks to be very fun Dimension 20 did Misfits and Magic which was their four episode arc using the system it was very it was so much fun to watch it was kind of the big inspiration for this I am excited one of the big things about this campaign system is that the players do get to develop some of their classes and the team sport so instead of Quidditch uh, my players have come up with a really fun wizarding tournament game type of thing that I will talk about in a future episode. But if you are looking for a less complicated, less combat heavy, more narrative driven system, the Kids on Bikes, Kids on Brooms uh, kinds of campaigns and, and systems seem to really hit that itch of, I really want a narrative driven thing. I'm sure once we get closer towards the end of the campaign, I'll come back to that, but you can check that out in the description down below. As mentioned earlier, there is one more movie I wanted to talk about, but I also wanted to avoid spoiling things for people that did not want to hear about it. So uh, I will talk about that after these brief messages from me. First things first, if you'd like to follow me on Instagram and Twitter, you can follow me at Junk Lobster, where on the weekends I will continue to share news stories that come out that interest me, as well as various things that just appeal to me, because that's the way we are running this show. Second thing, you should check out Abelard Rudenborg's first comic book, Pip. It's the adventures of 
a sentient onion waking up in the world for the first time and going out into the world. It's very good. It's very well done. It's completely self-produced by Bob, and the artwork is just stunning. The link to their comic can be found in the description. The pre-order period does end at the end of next week on the 15th, so be sure to get your pre-orders in. I recommend the big copy. The comic has a big focus on the artwork, and you should definitely check it out. Thank you for listening. So we're going to hop into talking about Venom Let There Be Carnage, but if you are bidding us adieu, thank you for listening. Good evening, Eddie. Hey, Mrs. Chen. Good evening, Venom. Function Hall, Mrs. Chen. He says hi. One is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. I've been thinking about you, Eddie. The film features Tom Hardy reprising his role as Eddie Brock slash Venom, Woody Harrelson as Carnage slash Cletus Cassidy, Michelle Williams as Anna Wang, Naomi Harris as Frances Barrison slash Shriek, and Stephen Graham as Detective Mulligan. You know, I think it's a little better than the first movie. There's that. It has that going for it. The dynamic between Eddie and Cletus is very weird, which is fun. It's a fun kind of weird. It reminds me a lot of earlier 2000s and late 90s Marvel movies like Blade and Spider-Man 1 or Spider-Man 3. And yes, I just compared those two movies. (laughs) Though the movie itself is not really what I'm super interested in talking about. The thing I'm super interested in talking about is the end credit scene, which features Eddie and Venom discussing how Venom has access to all this information across the the universe because of all the symbiotes being connected. And one of the things he has connections to is the multiverse. And just as he's about to show Eddie the multiverse and blow his mind, they are seemingly teleported to an entirely new room, uh, similar to what they're in. But the big difference being what's playing on the TV, which is a newsreel from J. Jonah Jameson at the end of uh, Far From Home, Spider-Man Far From Home, revealing that Peter Parker is Spider-Man. Whether this means that Tom Hardy will be in Spider-Man No Way Home, or he will be in as a cameo, post credit scene, or an ally, yet to be seen, the characterization of Venom in this movie and the last one have been more focused on the lethal protector side of the character, and less so the villainy of the character. So, if you enjoyed the first movie, I recommend it. If you didn't enjoy the first movie, you might enjoy it, but maybe wait till it hits Netflix or uh, Redbox or something like that. Thanks again for listening. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please share it out and uh, let me know what you want to hear about. Thanks. Bye.